Before Dell comes up to give a message, let's read scripture together. If you'll pull out your Bibles, let's turn to Daniel chapter 3. And what we're going to be reading this morning um, is not fantasy, not fantastical. It's not a story. This is history. This was recorded. This actually happened in the land of Babylon. The men that we're about to read about were real. And so as we read this together, I want you to try to, to put yourself in that situation and think about what they're having to go through. Think about what you would, would have done if you had faced their situation. Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to assemble the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to attend the, dedica the dedication of the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So, the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue the king had set up. Then they stood before the statue Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and a herald loudly proclaimed, People of every nation and language, you are commanded, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and every kind of music, people of every nation and language fell down and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Some of the Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. You, as king, have issued a decree for everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, that they must fall down and worship the gold statue. Whoever does not fall down and worship is to be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. There are some Jews, my lord, you have appointed to manage in the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Then in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold statue that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue that I have made. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
he gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary. And he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So these men, with their trousers, robes, head coverings, and other clothes, were tied up and thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, Didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. He, re he exclaimed, Look, I see four men, not tied, but walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. When the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's advisors gathered around, they saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair of their heads was singed, their robes were unaffected, and there was no smell of fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I issue a decree that anyone of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and his house made a garbage dump. For there is no other god who is able to deliver like this. Then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the, uh, in the province of Babylon. All right. The word of the Lord. Good morning to you. Um, very, very moving story. Um, this is what a bad day looks like. I think it's probably hard for us to uh, comprehend the power and the trauma um, of this moment for these three guys, probably many others, um, at this moment in history. Nebuchadnezzar was a rageaholic. We can see that from the passage. Uh, he was a megalomaniac on a world scale. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had had previous experiences with the ruthlessness uh, and the evil of this man. In fact, the rabbinical writings of this period uh, tell us that the tactics of Nebuchadnezzar as he conquered most of the known world, including Israel and Jerusalem, where Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego were exiled from, uh, with many of, their many of their cohort, their family, um, was not only to conquer, but to dominate, not only to win, but to humiliate. So Zedekiah, the king of that time, and his court, most of them were slaughtered. Um, Zedekiah's own sons slaughtered before him in his own presence, uh, before he was blinded, so that the last sight that he would ever see would be the 
murder of his own children. Thousands of youth, according to the writing of this time, uh, were slaughtered in cold blood simply because they were deemed too attractive. Nebuchadnezzar didn't want to bring attractive young men back to his country and have the allegiance of young women from his country moving towards exiles. So he killed them, so I don't know what that tells us about the attractiveness physically of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they made the cut. (laughs) But certainly, they carried within them the memories of these kinds of horrors as young men. Rabbinical writings tell us that once the Jews arrived in exile from the horrors of this conquest in chains, Nebuchadnezzar then spared no effort to humiliate them. He had them paraded along a riverbank, chained and naked. As he observed from a royal ship on the water, uh, when he noticed that the nobility were walking without any burdens on their backs, he instructed them to sew bags out of the parchments of the Torah scrolls, their religious writings, fill them with sand and hoist them on, the sho- on their shoulders, The scribes notate that the the cries of the people who witnessed this pierced the heavens. So my point here is just that unspeakable sadness, loss, grief, trauma, fear, suffering, terror, lived in the memories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego on this day that we read about and in his people. Now, in this sort of senseless, arrogant, aggrandized act, sort of like a purge. Nebuchadnezzar set this statue up to his ultimate power and orchestrated a test. So this time now, the terror has become public uh, and the matter is life and death. So it's notable That in this context, we read from the text simply this reply, this response from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the king. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, We want to make clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods. So in other words, king, our God will deliver us from sickness and disease, but if not. King, he will deliver us from loneliness, depression, and trauma, But if not, our God will deliver us from threats, accusations, insecurities. But if not, he will deliver us from death and impairment of our loved ones. But if not. And what I want to talk to you about this morning for a few minutes is the experience in this time through history, and certainly in our day today, 
of, of the fact that we live in a world that's broken by sin and by pain and by evil. And we have to grapple with choices in the context of the possibility that we will not always receive happy endings, painless days, that sadness, that grief, that suffering, that evil do touch our lives. We do bleed. We do cry. Uh, We do experience both the ups and downs of life. So the question that I want to ask you this morning deals with fiery furnaces. And what about all the if-nots in the context of our own lives, but also in the context of our faith? Now, this is a passage of a, from a book uh, by a lady named Susan Cain. Her book is Bittersweet. She talks about the experience in life of both joy, but also sadness. The fact that they are commingled in human experience. Um, and she writes this Imagine a world without sadness, loss, or suffering. It's pretty great. No one is ever in a bad mood. Tears are unheard of. You never wake up at 3 a.m. riddled with anxiety or worry about the future. Lovers never leave each other. Loved ones never die. Could you be happy in this kind of world? Maybe you're thinking, of course. But it might be harder than you think. You see, sadness, pain, and loss all have an important role to play. Without them... Life's joys would be more mundane. The people you love wouldn't feel so precious. Moments of happiness wouldn't feel special. Without darkness, you don't notice the light. If you've never tasted bitterness, you can't recognize sweetness. Yet, in the West, that would be us, people tend to live in cultures that don't honor bitterness. Popular psychology focuses on progress, positivity. Grief is framed as something which can be moved through in seven steps and then left behind. Trauma is something that needs closure. As a result, our experience of the bittersweet is diminished. Trauma, abuse, pain, loss often senseless and unfair. But they are also inevitable. The bittersweet teaches us that pain exists alongside joy. Love exists alongside loss. And inspiration exists alongside despair. If we turn away from the negative, we also turn away from all the good that comes with it. When we turn away from the bitter, we also, in some fundamental way, turn away 
from the sweet. Interesting, um, Americans smile a lot. Um, if you ever travel overseas, you notice this. Um, we smile at every person we walk past on the street, and they look back with quizzical and sometimes disgust, looks of disgust. Um, part, of, part of being an American. Some fundamental level, I believe, that we have equated pain, loss, weakness, uh, with failure. And so we smile through our pain. Um, and make no mistake, all the smiles do hide another reality, which is that the experience of pain is actually real for every human person. Anxiety and depression are at epidemic levels. Um, I have a friend who does research actually on this related to faith and the church. Um, because we also smile in our foyers. Um, and it's easy, it's easy to equate sometimes. I know we don't mean this. There's, there's a good side to this. But it's easy to equate the idea that what it is to be a good Christian is to be a happy person. And we're sometimes not sure what to do with our experiences of negative realities. Where do we put our depression? Where do we put our anxiety? Where do we put our questions? What do we do in the church when we don't feel like smiling? And what is the shared language that we might have or develop to have a vibrant faith in God in the middle of fiery furnaces. Okay? And probably much to say on this topic. Um, but I just want us to confront for a moment that simply the idea that what is good is painless and what is bad is sad is not the Christian story, nor is it an adequate view of life that can bear the weight of life and reality. And what we find in this text and many texts throughout the Bible is a very raw confrontation, not just with positive opportunities, but with negative realities. Uh, and make, most, make no mistake, this was a very bad day. Uh, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they went through a fiery furnace. Okay? And I want to give, give us seven observations on their experience that can teach us, I think, some very valuable lessons about our own experiences of the fire. Okay? First is this. Fiery furnaces, negative realities, help us to clarify our, our values. You see, pain can tell us a lot. We might say it this way, pain can tell us, like nothing else, what is actually most important to us. You've heard the saying that you don't know how to live if you haven't identified what is worth dying for. You heard that? 
And the confrontation of sadness, of grief, of pain, of evil has a purifying effect that helps sort out the trivial from the things that are actually worth our life energy or because they're, they're, they're worth dying for as well. And in this experience, Nebuchadnezzar put Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into a context where they had to dig deep to clarify like never before under the pressure cooker of this moment what they really valued, what they really loved, what they really hoped for. What for them was actually staking, worth staking their life on. And what I would imagine for you and for me is that the if-nots of our lives have done the same. They have helped raise questions that did not have easy answers. They forced us to struggle, to grapple. As a parent, as much as I would love to gift wrap life to my children and to help them avoid anything negative or anything sad or anything you know, crisis-oriented, I'd like to preserve them from all pain, what kind of life would that be for them? Would they know themselves? Would they know what they cared about? And so fiery furnaces help us to clarify our values. Fiery furnaces help to separate us from the crowd. You know, there is a propensity in the search for love and for significance to simply believe that we can only get that by going along with the crowd, by only by adapting ourselves completely to the whims and desires of others. But there's something about suffering, there's something about pain, there's something about the seasoning of life that helps us to take a step back as we clarify our values and to begin to stand in a way that is not enmeshed with someone else or is not just in reaction to someone else, but that becomes engaged and present to our lives as a witness of what it is that we actually are willing to, to separate for and to stand for. And certainly this was a moment, right, in a public way for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego where they had to say, going along to get along is just not going to work in this situation. Fiery furnaces help us develop emotional bonds. You know, folks that have not suffered, folks that have not experienced negative realities, while on one level we may say they had, they had good fortune, it's very, it's very difficult for people like that to have deep compassion, to have deep empathy because it's hard, it's hard for them to know what it's like, right, to have walked in another person's shoes. The converse is true. People that have suffered the most are often the most compassionate. They're, they're often the most empathetic. You see, empathy and compassion are forged through the experience of pain. And so we, we pray to the Lord, you know, Lord, make me more loving, make me more compassionate, make me more of a wounded healer to others. Let, me, let your grace be a an overflow, you know, from my life to others. But from what do we give? And with what? Other than the experiences of our own emotional capacity that are developed. 
and pain. It's part of what helps me to relate to you and you to me. The same is true in the depth of community. Like People that we're closest to, we're able to show and to share not just our positive things, but also our negative realities as well. In the fiery furnace, we personalize our faith. You know, it's one thing to know and to be doctrinally correct, to be able to list off our beliefs and to communicate them to others. It's another thing to pull one of those beliefs off of a shelf, have to apply it in the crucible of our lives. And faith gets personalized, it gets activated when we actually have to use it, and we have to use it. We have to draw down the resources of our faith, of God, in the experiences of suffering. Fiery furnaces help us to experience gratitude. This is part of what Susan Cain is doing her research on, where she shows that the longings of our heart, the most exquisite experiences like joy and love, are connected intimately to sadness and to loss. The contrast is what helps us to appreciate the preciousness of the other. And so gratitude is actually birthed not by circumstances, just like being great, but by the commingling of what it is that makes things precious. Okay? This happens, I think, in the fiery furnace. Fiery furnaces help us to develop endurance. You know, it's interesting, people who have learned to accept negative realities like sadness and grief and loss, they've come to a certain sense of acceptance of them. When they're tested on measures of happiness or contentment, they tend to score much higher than people who have not. So, they, so here's, here's interesting, like if you want to have resilience, if you want to have endurance, that's not forged by the ability to control your circumstances and to, and to filter out everything that's bad. It's the confidence that you know that you can integrate negative realities and they don't invalidate the presence of joy, that joy, peace, and contentment actually are not opposite to sadness and loss. It's, it's, it's foundational to psychological integration. And we develop endurance, we develop character, we develop capacity for life in fiery furnaces. Finally, we see in this text that great witness came to God and to faith, but it came through the fiery furnace in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's experience. Do you follow what I'm saying? The witness was credible because it had been tested. The grace that they received in the flames became the basis of their, their testimony to others. This was notably expressed by our one and only King Nebuchadnezzar, who discovered a paradigm in life, a reality of life, that was not in his formula of world conquest. Look, he says, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a God. My friends, 
We can't avoid pain and suffering. It touches all of us. The only thing within our control is how we welcome pain when it arrives on our doorstep. And here's the walk home truth, I think, for all of us this morning. God will not always deliver you from the fire. He didn't deliver, actually, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from that experience. But, but here's, the, here's the gospel truth. He is with you in the fire. What we need most is not actually the absence of pain and suffering. What we need most is the presence of love in it, letting us know that this is not the end, that we are not alone, that we are never forsaken, that there is always more, more depth, more beauty, more resurrection. And we need to know that people around us know that too. We need more than high fives in the foyer. We need presence in our pain. And this is the incredible opportunity of the church to be the church in the fiery furnace with God and others. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for stories like this, many others that capture our imagination with reality. Thank you for the invitation of your spirit. who integrates our lives. Thank you that you don't just whitewash our sepulchers. Thank you that you enter tombs and bring resurrected life. And I pray for my friends, anyone in this room who feels alone um, who feels like happy clappy actually isn't their mood, that they would find genuine presence and connection, not only from you, but from your people as the God who walks with us in fires. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.